live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City. This is the Jeff Wagner Show. Here is the deal. Let me kind of go through what we know, and then I want to discuss this with you. It's just mind-boggling, and it might not technically be illegal, but if it's not, it should be. The reality is no car insurance, no problem. Nuts to that. Let's get them off the road. Impound the cars. Make the streets safer. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. What are those people talking about? You got a deal. A deal is a deal. Stop whining about it. Live up to its obligations. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Well, I guess we live in interesting times. The stock market, after the biggest Decline since 1987, the worst one day since 1987. And if you were a stronger person than me and could resist pushing that button to see what your assets looked like, you're, you're probably in a better frame of mind. But yesterday, just an absolute bloodbath in the stock market. The stock market clawing back a little after a 2,300-point drop in the Dow. Um, it, it opened up about 900 points up and then quickly gave away most of those gains, and it was down about 100. Now it's back to being up about 540 points. Looks like a very volatile trading day, and, of course, we'll take you from now to the last three hours of the closing. We are going to be talking a little bit later on about what all this coronavirus, the concerns about the coronavirus, what what it's doing to some of your personal financial decisions, because that's where it really ends up affecting the economy. If people just become freaked out and decide we're we're not going to purchase things other than toilet paper and sanitary wipes and things like that, that that's where it starts to have the effect. If people start delaying home remodeling projects or, hey, I was going to go out next weekend and and buy a car. Now I'm not going to do that. That's where it starts to have the impact. And we're going to talk about what it means to you. Matter of fact, that's going to be one of the themes of today's program. How is this impacting you? We talk a lot in general terms, but I want to be a little bit more specific. And I I want to start out by something. Matter of fact, I I mentioned this to to Steve when we were talking a couple minutes ago. When I started working here a long time ago at WTMJ, I, I used to work Saturdays and um, I would start, my shift was like 10 till 3, and, and we had a couple of our lifestyle shows. I hosted Money Talk, and for a while, the Foxville Travel Show, and a couple of those other things, and then I would do my own show. When you would come in on Saturdays, it was kind of eerie, because in, in the radio portion of our building, there there's nobody here. Normally, you know, Monday through Friday, it, it's bustling. We've got this whole area where there's all the, the salespeople, and we've got another area where there's all the people that work in what we call our traffic department, which is, means they, they schedule the commercials and, and all that. And so you got the sports folks, and you got the sales folks, and here with Good Karma, we have all these interns that are around, and we have this huge marketing department. All, all the, these folks, it, it's bustling. It's energy. And, of course, then you've got management. Well, you know, we'd come in on Saturday, and there'd be nobody here. And that because, you know, it, it's everybody else is, is at home for the weekend. So there would be me, there would be the producer, there would be the news person, and that would be pretty much it. Well, it's not quite like that today, but it's almost like that today because because of the coronavirus, you know, our company has made the decision to essentially say to anybody who can telecommute, 
you telecommute. So our, our sales department, it, 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 the lights aren't even turned on. Nobody from our sales department is here. Now, presumably they're, they're working, but they're, you know, calling advertisers or whatever. They're working on the phones or doing that. Nobody in management is here. <laughs> the doors are, are closed. Nobody in our traffic department that schedules commercials here. The only people that are here, and it's a handful, are those of us who have on the air jobs or people like my producer, Gru, whose job is to keep me on the air, which I appreciate greatly. But it's it's really strange because you walk around the halls and they're, they are largely empty. It's kind of like what you would expect on a Saturday afternoon or a Saturday morning. What we are doing here at Good Karma is not unusual. As a matter of fact, many, many companies are doing exactly the same thing, essentially saying, if you can do your job without having to physically be in the office, then do your job without having to physically be in the office. And, and that's that's the policy that's been implemented. Like I say, I, I have no doubt that you know my, my colleagues are continuing to work and they're continuing to do their assignments and they're continuing to have their meetings and they're continuing to have their conference calls and stuff. They're just doing it from remote locations, specifically being their, their homes. And I have no doubt, by the way, also, that they're doing their jobs very well. It, it's not that. It's just that they're not here. They're not at their desks. They're not at their cubicles. And from the perspective of those of us who are here, it is a little bit weird. But this is what intrigues me about this. Is, is this the future? And by that I mean when when the fears about the coronavirus subside, and they will. I can't tell you if it's going to be Monday or a week from Monday or a month from Monday or three months from Monday. I can't tell you any of that. But but we're going to get back to some sense of normalcy. It happened after 9-11. It's going to happen after after this scare. But just like 9-11 had profound impacts on our, our way of life, you know, I mean, if you think about getting on an airplane before 9-11 and getting on an airplane after 9-11, you will understand exactly what I mean. Now, as more and more businesses go and, and turn to things like telecommuting, I'm wondering, are we ever going to go back? Is that now going to be the new normal where we say, you know, we, we're, we're doing this. People are working from their homes. We're still seeing a degree of productivity. Do we need to make people drive into or take the bus into or ride the trolley into the office on a daily basis. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Does telecommuting work? And would you like the option to do that at your place of work? Is there any reason why, for a lot of people, you actually have to physically come in and be in the office or can you be just as productive if you're if you're in sales for example you know and your your job is you're on the phone and you're calling people and you're trying to sell widgets or whatever that may be can you be just as productive if you're doing that from your your you know in your bathrobe from you know your desk at home, can you be just as productive in doing that? If your job involves, I don't know, processing claims at an insurance company, all right, and everything's online, and you're just you know you're going from you know one claim to another, do you have to physically be there, or can you be just as productive somewhere else? Now, obviously, there's certain jobs where you have you have to be there. You know that's that's just the reality. What I do is I, I have to. 
I mean, at least at this point in time with the technology, I have to be in the studio. But I, I know there's a lot of radio hosts. They've got studios that are set up in their homes, and they end up doing the shows. You know, is this going to be the new normal where more people telecommute? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's start with Ray from Illinois. Ray, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon, Jeff. How Hi, are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you? Hey. I'm actually, I'm actually working at home today, which is why I'm catching you live. I Great. normally listen to your podcast on the train, going to work. Great. Um, Super. So, so, so I just wanted to say, um, I, I, I think it is the future. Um, it's already something that a lot of people, um, the company I work for, we have a lot of remote uh, customer service people. Um, there are people with disabilities who work at home as a accommodation. I, th- I think we're going to learn a lot from this whole thing, and one of the things I'm, I'm with you, we're going to learn is that, you know, you don't have to have big office buildings. A lot of people can do their jobs remotely with all the technology we have. I think it is the future, and mm-hmm. it can't come soon enough, I think. Well, thanks for call. You know, it is it is interesting to me because, again, the, the, the whole question is productivity. Now, now I, think, I think there is a value in the, the common experience, you know, be, being around your coworkers and things like that. But at the same time, you know, nowadays – do, do do you need you know if if you've got a bunch of corporate offices for example do you need to actually put a bunch of people on an airplane and do you need to send them all to a particular location where they can meet in a in a meeting room in you know some hotel somewhere or alternatively with the technology between conference calls and at the company I work for they they do weekly con I think they're weekly I mean they do regular conference calls and, and you know everybody gets where they, where they talk about various things and, and everybody gets a number that you can dial in on and you get this code that you can enter and you can participate in that fashion do you need people to be in person let's talk to dawn in wauwatosa dawn you're on wtmj good afternoon oh hello i actually work in radio sales myself um not in the area but um and i have been commuting i live in wauwatosa and i've been commuting an hour um only two days a week for about the past six months it's been working wonderfully um, actually, I'm working on a radio ad right now as I sit here, <laughs> um, and we are looking at our whole office is um, selling our building and downsizing to a smaller office, and the salespeople aren't even going to have offices in there. We're going to have one conference room area, a separate area where we can do some private phone calls if we need, and then uh, everyone's going to be working wherever they want to from laptops. Do you? D- does it require a certain degree of discipline to make something like that work? Absolutely. Um, I actually find it hard because I'm a people person, so I look forward to the two days in the office, um, and that's those days that I go out and see my clients in person that I want to see. Um, I don't find it hard not to work because of other reasons, just that contact with people, because in sales, you have to be a people person, right. so that's been the biggest adjustment for me. Right, and of course, in, in sales, for most people in sales, they work on commission. So if you know you're if you're if you're if you're not working and you know and you're 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 not meeting Correct. the clients, you're not selling the stuff, you're not getting paid. Which is, of course, you know Correct. that that's so, the incentive yeah. to say, hey, I got to make these phone calls regardless of where I am. Right. So if I choose on a Friday that it's really nice out to hit out, which a lot of salespeople do, you know that to hit out early, it's on me because I'm 100% commission, and if I you know, if I don't work, I don't get paid. So that's an incentive. If I were hourly, would I find it more difficult? 
probably. I'm right. not going to lie. <laughs> yeah, no. You know, it, but it is nice to walk out of my back deck, put my laptop out there and work when right. it's nice and sunny out. Uh, I mean, and I think I actually get a lot more done because I'm not stuck inside. Well, right. And you don't have, it, 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 in some cases, you don't have the distractions of, of being in the office. <laughs> you, no, well, no. And I mean, but yeah. you, right, you don't have the distractions yeah. of, you know, getting caught up in the water cooler conversations. And, and, and I'm not dissing all that, but it's kind of like, hey, okay, I got to really focus now. And I really don't want to, I, I, you get drawn into a lot of extraneous stuff that might deflect you from doing what your job really is. It does, because you're, you know, there's always, I don't know about your radio station, but somebody's always bringing a snack or food, and so you're going up and grabbing a little bit of this and that, and then you end up spending a little, you know, five minutes talking to the ladies up in traffic or the accounting department or whatever, and it, you know, I do find myself that when I'm here, they are full hours of work. There's, you know, I have to force myself to be like, oh, i got to get up and move around a little bit, get something to drink, you know? <laughs> right, right, right. No, I got, thanks for the call, Dawn. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'm trying to look past... The, the the immediate issues that we're dealing with. And I'm wondering if with more and more businesses now saying, okay, because of the coronavirus, we want you to we want you to work at home. Is this going to lead to a more permanent change in the way we do business? We continue the conversation in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Back to take your calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Crew producing the show today, would you say that Eighty percent of the people who are normally here are not here today. That, yeah, I'd say that. About about you know, about eighty percent, and and again, I I have no doubt that my colleagues are, are are working and doing the stuff they're supposed to do. But you know, they our our corporation, the, the owners said, hey, what we want you to do is we want you, we don't want you to get sick, we don't want you to get other people sick, and so we want you to work at home, take your laptops home. You know, we're going to communicate, we're going to have the conference calls, we're going to continue the business of the company, but unless you're an on-air person or somebody that works supporting the on-air people, just just stay home. And, and people have done it. Lights turned out, all those things. I'm just wondering if this is going to be the future moving forward. Jane in Burlington. Jane, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Uh, First-time caller and love your show, by Thank the you. way. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, I work from home, and I do medical billing, and I don't have the printing capabilities to print out the medical claims I need and and stuff like that, but I do gather all the information and then attach, you know, all my files and send them to another employee at the office who then has to print them, scan them, and send them all out because, you know, we have productivity numbers to make, and I don't know if it would be a good financial decision for, you know, like my type of company to do something like that where I'm going to make my numbers, but you're putting all that pressure on employees that are in the office to get your work out. Right. Or I guess, I mean, the, the flip side would be, would it make then more sense for the company to you know, give you whatever printing resources you need at your house so you could do it all at once? I mean, I, I don't know that, but I mean, is that, is that something they could that they potentially consider? They could do that, but then, you know, then there's the mailing costs. you right. got to get, you know, the envelopes and, and mail all that out. Then you've got to have scanning capabilities right. um, to, you know, to scan sure. all that. And, and it's just, there's just a lot more to it than just mailing so, out a claim. Do, do you like you working know what at I mean? home? So I, do you like working at I home? I do. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I yeah, I do. You know, you get up in the morning and and I, I'm in my pajamas, you know, <laughs> yeah. and I'm working away and I'm I'm comfortable and yeah, it's it's working out good for me. But the the girl that I send everything to, you know, 
Right. It's making a lot more work for her. So, right. yeah. Yeah, you have to feed. No, thank. But I mean, I get. See, that's that's the key. I mean, I guess the question becomes: first of all, would people rather stay at home to do their job? And then, secondly, can they do their job effectively at home? You know, one of the arguments you always get is that it, it from a supervisory perspective, it's tougher. The argument is it's tougher to supervise people if they're working at home than if they're in the office. I'm not sure I necessarily buy that because at the end of the day. The question is going to be for a lot of people who work at home. Did, did you did you meet your goals? Are you accomplishing what you need to accomplish? And you're going to be able to tell that whether it's processing claims or or whatever. Let's talk to Dan in Campbellsport. Dan, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Dan. Yeah, I was going to re- reiterate uh, what uh, the lady just said. Uh, my wife works from home as well. But you, I want to contradict what you just said, um, only because she gets more work done because she's at home. There are no coffee breaks. Right. There is no thing. She gets laundry done, but right. at yeah. the best. Right. So there's, and, there's uh, no distractions for her. She just she sits in her office or at her desk, wherever in the kitchen or wherever it is. Correct. And she's just focused, and she she's not getting pulled in like five or six or seven places by coworkers who come in and want to chat or do whatever. Which helps a ton, and then uh, you get the day done, and her, her numbers are up because of that. And I, I believe what the last caller just said. I, I believe, and plus you also get to sit in your jammies, and <laughs> it's kind of cute to see that. Well, there you go. <laughs> now, thanks. No, I think I think this is this is I think this is something. As more and more companies are, I'm going to say, quote unquote, forced to do this because of the circumstances around the coronavirus, I suspect that there's going to be a lot of HR departments that are going to be taking hard looks on saying, all right, is this maybe a new model moving forward? Now I text Jeff, I repair industrial electronics. It's a job that cannot be done at home. Some jobs in the world require being at a specific location with the tools and equipment necessary to accomplish that. Well, yeah, of course. I mean, note not everybody is going to be able to telecommute. I mean, obviously, if you are... If you're a plumber, you know, you, you, you can't do that remotely. You gotta show up and replace the hot water heater that somebody has at their house that, that's leaking. So it, it's not gonna be, everybody's not gonna, is gonna be able to, to sit at home and work. But there are industries where maybe you're gonna be able to do that and maybe, just maybe, that's gonna be one of the things that comes out of the, what we look at when business looks at modern trends moving forward after we get past what is going on now. And as I've said at the start of the show, we are going to get past it. Can't tell you exactly when, can't promise you that there's not going to be pain getting there, but we're going to get past this. 1229, Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner on WGMJ. So very glad to have you with us. All right. Well, you know, we're we're speaking a lot about the the effect of the coronavirus, and you've seen that pretty much every sport there is has now either canceled games or suspended the league, NBA, NHL, uh, golf which was going to try to play through this, they've now announced that they're suspending tournaments. The latest development today was the Masters, which is scheduled in a couple weeks. That has been postponed. So you have this in the world of sports. You also have, of course, um, a number of of, uh, concerts 
concert tours which have been delayed, large presentations, you know, theater type of shows are being delayed. And then as we were talking about yesterday, there's the there's the spin-off effect that that this has. For example, um Good City Brewery, brewery, which is they they've got a They've got a tap room and uh, a brew pub on the east side, but also they're they're at Pfizer Forum. They're one of the big operations that's right across the street from Pfizer Forum. They, they've just announced that they are closing their, their downtown location. I guess it's still going to be open temporarily. I mean, it's still going to be open for, for private events that people book. But the, the reason, from what I understand it, is they, their big business – is when people come and go to Bucks games, and their big business is when people go to patronize, uh, you know, shows at the at Fiserv and things like that. And when that's not happening, I think they figure it just doesn't make any sense to stay open the rest of the time. So at least for the foreseeable future, they're they're going to be at least closing to the general public and still book events and all. But that's part of the spinoff, and we were talking a little bit about that yesterday. How this affects people, not just not just the NBA players in that instance, but the the ticket takers and the vendors and all those area businesses. I mean, I was telling the story. We were uh, one of the the salespeople here at WTMJ and I were going to we were scheduled with our spouses to take a client to the Bucks game on on Monday night. Well, you know, we were going to go to dinner at a place in that that area around Fiserv, made reservations and all that. Well, there's no Bucks game, so we're, we're not doing it. So it's not just the people that work at Fiserv, um, but it's the people I would have probably paid stupid money to park my car in that area. And it's the people at the restaurant, the servers, and all those other people, they lose out. And, and that's the economic effect of these closures that goes beyond just the world of sports. In, in any event, th- this this whole thing had me thinking about how this is impacting you financially. And, and like I said earlier, th- th- this... I firmly believe that this is going to be a short-term thing. Now, I don't know what short-term means. I don't know if it means a week or two weeks or a month or two months, but I I believe we are going to get past this at some point in time, just like we've gotten past other things that have have tested us as as a country. I believe we're going to get past this. But I I also appreciate that in the immediate short-term future, there's going to be some impact. And one of the things that I think people are, are wondering is what do you do until this passes? And, and by that, I mean, if you're an investor, you know, we've talked a lot about the investment perspective. If, if you're an investor, what, what, what do you do? Do you panic? Do you sell your stocks? Do you try to buy gold and stick the gold bars under your bed or things like that? You know, and a lot of times when people make panic decisions, those those are the worst decisions you can can possibly make. When when you're panicked and you're scared, those turn out to be the very worst decisions. But but beyond just the investment thing, I would like to talk to you about whether or not this is causing you to make lifestyle changes. And, and by that, I mean, is the unknown, the fear of the unknown that's out there, and the very real concerns, if you, you know, been watching what's been going on in the stock market, and you've been seeing your stock portfolio drop 20 or 25% or whatever over the course of the last month, and maybe you're getting closer to retirement, all those different types of things. It, these concerns and of course you know we don't know exactly what the airline industry is going to look like when this is over we don't know what the cruise industry is going to look like when this is over but 
is this causing you to rethink what you do economically? And by that I mean, okay, if you were planning to, I don't know, go out and buy a large screen TV, are you thinking, well, well, maybe, maybe I don't need that new TV? If you were planning a kitchen remodel, or you were planning to go out and, you know, th- this was the weekend I was going to go out and buy a new car. You know, we've been, we've been doing our research and it's time to just retire old paint. I want to go buy a new car. Is this causing you to rethink those decisions? How are you reacting to this? Is it starting to make you rethink? And I'm not talking about the decision to run out to Costco and buy a bunch of toilet paper, but I'm talking about like perhaps big ticket purchases or plans that you had. Are you putting them on hold because you just want to see how this whole thing works out? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's start with Tom. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff, thanks for taking the call. Sure. Um, I'm a motor coach driver for a company here in the area. Um, I was supposed to go to New York next week, Florida at the end of the month. Um, both those trips have canceled, so I have no work now for a month. Right, right, right. And, I, um, I mean, it's one of those deals where if you don't work, you don't get paid? Right, oh. right. Huh. Um, you know, Thankfully, you know, my wife and I, we have some cash in the bank where I can make a couple of mortgage payments right. um, and and get some groceries. Um, you know, my wife is still working. Um, but, yeah, this is a big impact for me. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, and see, and that's, that's you know, you're one of the people, it's kind of what I'm going to call the collateral damage sort of thing. You know, that, I mean, the, you're, you're, you know, you work in the travel industry, you know, in, in your way. And so, okay, people cancel that. You know, you're, you're out of work. You're, if you're a, a server at a restaurant, you know, in the area of Fiserv, and your big nights are when the Bucks play. Okay, well, now all these Bucks games have been canceled or postponed. You're, you, you can't replace that money, or at least it's not likely that you're going to replace place that money you know what what do you do and you know in, in your case yeah. you know it, it's got it's got to be a little scary well we got reserves so yeah. it's not worrying me two bits um, my wife is panicking a little bit but um, that's what we'll wives okay, do. Yeah, yeah. No, thanks for that, that, that. That's what they do. Okay, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is, is what's going on now making you rethink I don't know, things maybe delay purchases, delay some of the things. And I, and I mean, I, I understand if you if you had a cruise, and we've talked about that, if you've had a cruise scheduled, that's a whole different thing. But I'm talking about, you know, life type of decisions. I was going to go buy that big screen TV. I was going to sign up for the remodeling project. I was going to go buy that car, or this was the spring. I was going to go buy that Harley Davidson motorcycle that I've always wanted. Is this making you rethink those decisions? Eight five. Five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I'm sorry. I just think this is nuts. During the break, I get a, I get a, an email from my wife, who is up at the Costco in Grafton. I think she's the one in Grafton. This is the one she normally goes to. Now, this this was not a, I've got to run out and I've got to get supplies. This was not that kind of thing. It was, hey, I'm, I'm it's Friday. I'm going to Costco. I, I need to get some, some stuff. All right. She just sent me a text. No toilet paper in all of Costco. No paper towels. Just completely and totally empty and, and long lines. And it's kind of like, 
you know, really? I mean, look, really? And and we weren't on a toilet paper run or a paper towel run because we, we have enough to last us for a while. But but there is this whole idea, at least in some industries, of this kind of panic buying that's going on. But are these concerns beginning to impact other financial decisions that you've been making? Let's talk to Tim in Fredonia. Hi, Tim. You're on WTMJ. Good afternoon, young man. Hi, sir. Yeah, <laughs> music money. Man, remind me of the World Series of Rock in the seventies and all the smoke and haze in the air. My God, <laughs> that's what we're here. That's what my producer is here for. Yeah, don't tell me you don't remember that, Jeff. <laughs> hey, you know what? I'm gonna live my life just as as, as I can, as as I normally do, Jeff. I'm not gonna let something that when you when you sift through all of the BS and all of the the information that you're getting and do some research yourself and listen to actual experts on on this thing. I'm not going to let that ruin my life, Jeff. Mm-hmm. A lot of people do. They panic. And a lot of them are people younger than you and I and God for sake. they got they got to govern our country when, when we're going to retire. But I'm not going to do it, Jeff. I, well, anybody who gets this that's young, I shouldn't say anybody, but 99.7 people, if you do contract this and you're relatively healthy, you have a fever, you cough for a few days, you get better, and you're, and you're good. It's okay, but well, it's not so much that, work. Tim, but what about the okay. the, the fact that, okay, like the, the last, yesterday, for example, in the stock market, the, the biggest yep. down one-day downturn since 1987. Over the last month, yep. you know, you've, you've had pretty much any money that people made in the stock market in the last three years has disappeared. I mean, it's... It, is is it fair for people to maybe maybe be worried and say, okay, maybe I need to delay buying that new car or buying that big screen TV? It's probably fair, but I'm just telling you from my perspective. Right. I'm not going to change the thing I do. I'm not going to, you know, I may go. Yeah, my financial guy yesterday goes, Steve, I'm reinvesting in you and lower stock. I'm buying for right. you right now. So when this comes back, you're going to be even better off than you were. So if you think logically and sensibly, everything will be fine, Jeff. You know the markets, they come back. They right. always do. And, and, and I'm young enough when I get another 13 years in the yard yet, so I'm still moderate in it, Jeff. <laughs> Good enough. Thanks, for the, call, no, thanks for the call, Tim. I appreciate it. Okay, here's a text. Jeff, we're still planning on buying a home in Scottsdale. Luckily, I have the potential down payment money and a money market account, um, not stocks. We thought about panicking, but why not put the money in a new home instead of investing in a crazy market or a 1% CD? Yeah, that that's kind of the that's kind of the factor as as well. And I guess... I, I'm trying to look at it from the same perspective. If if I had the right opportunity, if I was in the market for, I don't know, a second home in Florida, and, and the right deal came along, would I take it? Yeah, I, 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 I would. Um, and I, I'm not encouraging people to be irresponsible with things, but at, at the same time, I, I guess I, I just don't think we should all go into a shell. And one of the things that does worry me about the economy is if people do go into those shells and people just stop spending and stop going out, stop going out and patronizing restaurants. If people just decide, okay, I, I'm not going to go to plays anymore, and I'm not going to go to the theater anymore, and when they start playing ball games again, I'm not going to go to the ball games, and I'm not going to go buy that TV that I was otherwise planning to buy, or you know, I, I'm I'm going to cancel my plans to do this or that or the other. It, it, what happens then is it becomes a self fulfilling prophecy, and then you know people aren't spending, so the businesses don't do as well, etc. Um, you know, and so I think that that's the bottom line. You want to be responsible, but you <laughs> don't you you don't want to be crazy. I am getting. 
one text after another about, oh my gosh, this, I don't know which Costco this is. Oh, Costco is bat crap crazy. The line, just to check out, starts in front of the store, goes to the back of the store, then comes all the way back to the front. You know, it just, um, I, I mean, geez. Uh, uh, Mark says, I find it ironic that people are believing no paper towels or no toilet paper, but plenty of water on the shelves. Now people are panicking about paper money and feel noticed. I just, at, at the same time, I mean, look, I, I, I understand that, you know, you, you want to be prepared for these types of things, but this too will pass. And this idea that you, you know, the only thing we can spend money on nowadays is buying toilet paper and paper towels at a big box retailer. <sighs> Give me a break. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. One of the things we've been talking about over the course of you know, the last week or two weeks is, is, is how we continue with some sense of normalcy, given the coronavirus scare, and, and, and yet at the same time try to be proactive try to be safe, try to avoid gatherings with large numbers of people. Now, in the world of sports, the general reaction to this lately has been we're just going to cancel and or postpone stuff. Um, sometimes, though, you get the idea that, that the show must go on. Well, h- how do you have the show go on and still deal with some of the concerns that we have? And I, th- There's, there's a, a local organization that's got kind of a, a unique concept, and we're joined right now by the general director of the Florentine Opera, my friend Maggie Opplinger. Maggie Hello. Hi, Jeff. Great to speak with you. Well, okay. Now, you were scheduled. The Florentine Opera was scheduled to have a, a performance of, of the tragedy of Carmen. And, and tonight, I believe, was supposed to be opening night. It was supposed to run through March 22nd. Now, obviously, there, there were concerns about you know, the general public coming. How have you decided to handle this? Well, first of all, in addition to it being our opening night, it was a sold-out opening night. So social spacing, which would have been, of course, our first choice, is an impossibility when every seat in the house is sold. Um, We have talked to arts groups around the country and around Milwaukee about what has been done, what is being done by different organizations that they're communicating with as well. And I have to say, through some heroic kindness on the part of our musicians, our artists, um, a local company called Studio Gear, that's a family-owned business that is a huge arts supporter. Everybody has come together and made it possible for us to do one performance of this show and record it and send a link to our ticket buyers. And as I'm sure you know, the opera audience is definitely a wise, experienced audience, but it's not necessarily the technology generation. We have had so much kindness on the part of our audience members who are willing to give this digital debut a try with us and experience the show we've spent three weeks building for them and actually generally months of building because the set was designed by a Milwaukee artist, someone on our staff. It's really beautiful and um, our lighting work has been done in advance. So we've put so much effort into this for our audience. We wanted to make sure they get to experience it, even if it's not the ideal way to do that. Okay, Life so performance is great. So how how is this going to work as a practical matter? Opening night was tonight <laughs> at, at the Marcus Center. So what's what's going to happen? Mm-hmm. So we are going to be in the Marcus Center 
And many thanks to them. They've been wonderful working with us on this. Um, as normal, we'll get ready for a show as normal, and we will be performing for an almost empty house. Um, we have some board members that will be joining us so that the performers at least have the true experience of an audience because performing for a completely empty house is a really weird feeling. Um, but we want to keep everyone as safe as we can, and this was the best way to do it. They will be practicing social spacing, and we will go on as we usually do. The orchestra is in the pit. The performers are on stage doing a full performance, and Studio Gear will be using multiple cameras to record everything that we're doing. At the end of the night, when the applause has died down, we will take that recording and we're having it edited by another local company. And we will then put that on our website and send the link out to all of our ticket holders <clears throat> so they can enjoy the show. And um, all of the artists that are in our production are giving us um, a full week to let people find time to watch it because with everything going on, we originally started with a live stream concept, but we're worried that people right. wouldn't be able to fit it in. Right. Now, is this going to be just the people who had tickets for tonight, or is it going to be people who had tickets for the entire run of what, what the show's run would have been? Tickets for our entire run. Okay. So we are definitely seeing some people who um, have concerns about experiencing opera in this format, and we totally understand that, but we've been really excited by how many people are understanding that this is the only way for us to deliver our product in the current climate. And frankly, some interest from people who have said flat out, we plan to be home a lot more than usual. Right. So this way we can still feel like we're having our night out, even though it's a night in. Now, obviously, Maggie, going to the theater or going to the opera in live is what it's really all about. But exactly. As, but as given the different alternatives, do you think this is something that kind of might catch on among other uh, other performing groups throughout the area, throughout the state, throughout the region, throughout the country, if, if this if these quarantines go on for any length of time? It depends. And in this instance, different art groups have different restrictions. So the Milwaukee Symphony, for example, um, it's a group of people who perform together all year round, and they bring in soloists and conductors that are visiting. But um, they, if we're talking about quarantine or safety, um, they know where their performers are at all times. We import our talent. So the people who come in to do a show with us come from all over the world, and it's going to be hard for us to um, keep everyone's safety where it needs to be if we're not sure who's been where. Mm -hmm. um, so opera companies in particular are working really hard right now on um, following all of the health protocols and making sure we keep our artists safe. That said, if it is possible to keep everyone safe, I think the show must go on. It needs to be our policy. And we are not the front runners in this. A number of companies um, have attempted this in the United States and in Europe. It is definitely a first for us. And I would just say we're going to keep innovating to survive this as a company and to bring what we do to our audience. We don't want to disappoint anyone. So we have another show in late May. And as far as I'm concerned, even if we um, have a quarantine and come out of it a week before, I think we still do the show. We still go on and we ask for our audience's understanding if it's a little rough around the edges, if those are our circumstances. 
Uh, Maggie, I think that's, that sounds great. Florentine General Director Maggie Opplinger, and um, going to be an interesting experience tonight performing the tragedy of Carmen to an almost empty room, but hopefully thousands of people will get a chance to see it online at some point in time over the next week or so. That's the, the hope. Thank you very much, Jeff, for, sure. for sharing that story. Absolutely. Take care, Maggie. That's Maggie. Um, and um, Maggie is, is a, I, if you couldn't tell, Maggie is a friend of mine. I, she does great work, and she is trying very hard to get me to appreciate opera. And actually, the Florentine Opera Company does a lot of great work. I've been to a number of their events over the course of the last couple of years, and I'm just, I'm amazed at how talented the performers are. And, and I, I think... You know, this is, I hate the phrase thinking outside the box because it, it's such a cliche, but I, I think, you know, given the extraordinary circumstances that we're facing now, I think, I mean, I, I really respect people who kind of think outside the box. And here you have people who've worked for a long time putting on a show. You've got sold out performances. You've got people that are excited to see it. And, and, and yeah, I mean, obviously people are looking forward to going and seeing it in person, but this is at least an alternative to allow folks to participate in the experience and and see all the work that has gone into this and i I think maybe you're going to see this from from more whether it's theater companies or whatever you know moving forward if if this issue about the social distancing and stuff continues and again our, our hope is i think for all of us that by the end of the month, you know, we're, we're ba- maybe ready to start to move back to normal. That's a hope. Don't know if that's realistic or not. But, you know, the sooner we can be- get back to normal, the better. But I, I do think it's it's worthy to talk about some of these different initiatives and these ideas that, I, I don't know, perhaps help us experience normalcy, even though we're living in very, very difficult times. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So, very glad to have you with us. All right, let us revisit the elephant in the room. Many, many things in this country have been postponed and or canceled if they involve large groups. The idea is, in order to keep the coronavirus from spreading, we we want to engage in what they call social distancing, and that's the social distancing is the, the buzzword now. Essentially, it means not getting large groups of people together where one member of that large group might have been exposed to somebody with the coronavirus, might be a carrier, and then might all of a sudden infect a whole bunch of other people. That That's kind of the, the idea. And that's, of course, the idea behind we're, we're not going to play NBA games because you have 18,000 people all milling around in close contact at Pfizer Forum. So that, that's the idea. Or, or we're going to delay opening day for a little bit because we don't want 45,000 people you know, at Miller Park, everybody interacting and somebody who's exposed to the coronavirus who doesn't know that necessarily, but still a carrier touching a tabletop and then somebody else comes around and touches the same tabletop and then again you're off to the races. So that's that's the whole idea behind this. Let, let's stop people from getting into settings where they're with large numbers of other people and they can get them exposed. The one area, the one area of, of society, at least so far, that has not embraced that, at least in a big way, is, is 
public schools or, or schools in general. I mean, kindergarten through middle school, grade school, middle school, and high school, you know, K through 12. Some area school districts are starting to announce that they are they are not going to be doing in-person instruction. Elmbrook School District says starting Monday they are moving to uh, virtual classes. I believe Menominee Falls announced the same thing. I know um, in the Sussex School District, I know they sent home a, a note with the kids yesterday uh, essentially asking the parents about Internet capabilities. Um, you know, do, do you have the Internet at your home? My guess is that that's a precursor to the idea of if enough people have the Internet at their home, then what they're going to be able to do is maybe they're going to go to that online instruction as well. I think Nicolay's been looking at that. I think Homestead's been looking at that. But as a general rule, most schools remain open. Our and a, our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. All right. There are two conflicting arguments. We talked about this a little bit yesterday, but now it's really, I think, kind of coming to the head. On the one hand, all right, the argument would be if we're closing colleges and universities and, and we're either suspending classes or we're not, we're not going to have in-person instruction and we're going to do that for college kids, why don't we do that for high school kids or for grade school kids? All right, that that's the argument that would be out there. Now, the flip side is, if you're going to try to do virtual instruction, some school districts, Internet access might not be a big deal. Other school districts, it may be. For example, my guess is, and it's just a guess, don't politifact me on it, my guess is that if you look at the parents at MPS, for example, the number of folks who have access to the Internet might be lower than, say, I don't know, the people out in mequon Thienesville. That's just kind of my, my assumption, but that's... That, I think, would be the concern. If you try to do online instruction, what about the people that don't have, readily have, as great access to the Internet? The other factor, and let us be honest here, it is the real-world factor. All right, there are a lot of parents out there where both mom and dad work, right? And if, if all of a sudden the schools are closed for any sort of prolonged period of time, a week, two weeks, three weeks, a month, whatever that is, for alternate forms of instruction or whatever, what what does that do from a child care perspective? This isn't an issue with college kids. You know, I mean, college kids are fine on, on their own. But if you've got a third and fourth grader and you work and your spouse works, now all of a sudden school is canceled for a couple weeks, that means you, you've got to find child care or either mom or dad has to stay home. That has a very, very large practical effect. All right, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. But let's tee this up. Given all the developments of the last 24, 48, 72 hours, are we at a point now where we should start looking at closing all public schools before there is a breakout? Now, obviously, what's going to happen is if you have a, a school – where suddenly some kid tests positive for the coronavirus or a faculty member tests positive for that. Obviously, that school is probably going to shut down. But should we be proactive and should we start having district-wide shutdowns? What do you think? Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. 
um, during the course of our conversation. I'll, I'll share with you where I think we should be. But I am curious, especially for you parents out there, how would you handle this? Is it a good idea, and is it necessary? Back with your calls in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. By the way, we're going to carry this topic over through the news. So if you're on the line, please hold on. If you want to join us, please do. Beth in Green Bay. Beth, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Beth. I think that schools need to stay open. And from what I've read, this virus is not affecting kids in the same manner that it's affecting kids who have, you know, respiratory problems already right. or elderly. Um, I think it's a way to contain kids. If they are out of school, are they really going to be staying home, especially if their parents are working? Or are they going to be going to the mall or the movie theater or the Y or libraries? Um, well, wait, see, and that's a very valid question to me. I mean, if the idea is social distancing, what what guarantee do we have that if you're not getting the kids get together in school, that they're not going to be going to other locations where arguably they might have a greater risk to be exposed to somebody who has the coronavirus? Correct. And I'm wondering how many school districts are even set up for online learning right? and how many kids have Wi-Fi. Right. At home. You know, I, I think this could be a disaster for working parents, especially. And um, oh, yeah. I think until school districts are able to ensure that they have online learning locked up and ready to go, I think send them to school. Yeah. Now, again, and I, I would assume that if there was a situation where, for example, a, a grade school finds that, let's say, a janitor or something, for the sake of argument, tests positive for coronavirus, that might be a different story as far as closing down that school, right? For sure. Yeah. 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 I, no, thanks. Um, I, I mean, yeah. Thanks. I, I agree with you. I mean, I, I think. See, that that's kind of how I I analyze this. I closing schools with the age of the kids. I mean, it it, it poses all sorts of of problems. Um, and again, it's going to vary from district to district, but let, let's be honest. In some school districts, let's take MPS, for example. I mean, you've got a lot of children who rely on the meals that are provided at school. So it's not just the education, it's the food thing. You've got the whole child care issue. And this, this isn't just MPS. This is the child care issue in general. Um, <clears throat> you know, what, what are you going to do? And then, you know what? What happens? Where do you draw the line? What if? What if the daycare centers and those things start closing? Um, so what? What do the parents end up doing there? And I, I don't know. I mean, I, you don't want to get too far in the weeds here, but you know, if if the parents then have to turn to the grandparents to provide some of the like the childcare responsibilities because because mom and dad still have to go to work to pay the bills. Oh, okay. Well, you know, the the grandparents who are going to be older. They're perhaps more at risk. I, I don't know. I mean, it's just it, it's a mess. And I guess I just think it's a different dynamic. It's one thing to say we're not going to we're not going to play a baseball game um, or we're going to delay the baseball game. It's one thing to say, OK, we're not going to have this after school activities. It's another thing to say we're going to close school. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. OK. I have the announcement. Um, came out just in the last few minutes, I believe, from Nicolet, uh, which I'm a graduate of Nicolet. Nicolet Union High School District, along with the following school districts, Brown Deer, Cedarburg, Fox Point, Bayside, 
Germantown, Glendale River Hills, Grafton, Mapledale, Indian Hill, Nicolay, Northern Ozaki, Port Washington, Mequon, Thienesville, Shorewood, and Whitefish Bay. This means our district, along with others, will be closing for a four-week period beginning Monday, March 16th, with school tentatively resuming April 13th of 2020. So they're announcing a four-week closure. This includes all athletic and recreation activities on or off campus. Nicolay High School campus will be closed to the public until further notice. Um, dot, 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 dot. What they say is the impact of a single case in any one school in a district is extremely significant. If one student or staff member becomes infected, I'm reading from the press release, everyone who is in close contact will need to be quarantined for 14 days. Close contacts include anyone who spends time within six feet of the positive case. When considering the proximity of a school environment, the contacts and exposures grew exponentially and quickly. We are supporting closures before community transmission is confirmed to greatly reduce the spread of coronavirus in the community. All students have access to curriculum and assignments via Nicolay's learning management system. Students will be expected to, quote, unquote, attend school virtually on normally calendared school days. Please refer to our guidelines. Okay, so North Shore School District closing for four weeks. All right, should other school districts follow suit? Earl and Appleton, earlier on WTMJ. Big mistake. They'll never, they'll never know where those kids have been in the last four weeks. What I was going to say, though, is they don't know where the kids have been for the last months. They know where their teachers have been, their staff. They've all been local for the most part. It might be an exception. I think they've got a perfect situation of keeping those kids coming to school and uh, preventing contact all over the place. None of them have been to China. They haven't traveled extensively in affected areas. What more could you want? Well, I guess the I mean, thank, thanks. I mean, I guess the concern would be the the concern would be I don't know one of the kids comes in contact, I don't know, maybe maybe dad has been traveling across the country or over the world in the last, you know, 14 days or whatever. Dad comes home, dad is a carrier, the child is exposed, the kid goes to school, and then all of a sudden, you know, the kid is in contact with all these people, and then you've got everybody at the whole school that has to be quarantined. That, that I think, is the concern. Again, you've got to balance this, though, and I think different school districts are different. I mean, MPS, to go back to what we were talking about a couple minutes, minutes ago, you closed down MPS and you've got all sorts of issues. The um, I, I, Again, I, I don't know the internet capability of all the students and the homes the students are going to be in. You don't know what what's going to happen. Are the students really going to stay at home or are they going to just kind of be running the, the street? Are they going to be going into shopping centers or malls or, or whatever? Is it going to be that? What do you do about the student lunch programs? I mean, if because again, in, in many districts, you know, the the student the the subsidized breakfast and the free lunches I mean that that's a part of the nutritional thing. How how do you close that? And then you know, what do you do with the parents who now all of a sudden have huge child care problems? I mean, I, I understand what Nicolay's trying to accomplish, and there's no bad guys or good guys here. I think this is an extremely difficult you know situation as you try to work your way through this. But there is a huge ripple effect when you make the decision. And maybe, like I say, maybe in a school district like 
the, the Nicolay School District or, you know, Mequon Thienesville, maybe the concerns are a little bit different than they are, for example, in the city of Milwaukee. Walt in Milwaukee. Walt, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. When my children were growing up, my wife and I made a decision that she was going to stay home with the kids when they were young. Um, we lost out financially because of that, but she was there when there was an issue. And as far as bringing that up as an issue today for schools closing because both parents work is a non-issue. Their parents, they're responsible. Someone should, if they can't find a grandparent or other care, one of them should just, should just stay home. It shouldn't even be an issue that's discussed because they're responsible for, the, for their children. Well, they, they, you're, well no, I mean, you're right. They, they are responsible for for the children. But at the same time, well, we both live in the real world. And that if, if you say all of a sudden the schools are going to be closed for like a month, it, it, it's one thing to say to the parents, OK, you're responsible for your kids. One of you has to stay home from your job. But at the same time, that does have a huge effect on that family where you're going to have to take vacation or you're going to have to give up your income. I mean, that there, there is a real world effect there, isn't there, Walt? I lived through the real world effects. I know it happened. I, my kids were, were sure. my mom, my mom, my wife was always there for the kids. Sure. Uh, and we, we made it. I mean, we, we made it financially. Right. I, I don't, I just think that people too much put too much emphasis on extra money and not enough emphasis on, on their children. Yeah, and I, and I appreciate. And I get it, Walter. I, I mean, I, I I appreciate that it's the responsibilities, but it, it, I, there, there's always this kind of balancing thing. And if the decision is, look, from the perspective of stopping kids from getting safe and controlling this and doing social distancing, if a school district decides this is the thing that we have to do, then 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 it's tough cookies. The parents have to figure it out. But I, my only point is, let's not. Let's not pretend that that's not going to be an issue for a lot of working parents. Eric Bilstadt, we have some breaking news. Yes, you were talking about school districts and school closings. Well, we got a bunch coming now, uh, many coming all at once. Area school districts will be now shut down the following for four weeks starting Monday. And this is uh, in conjunction with the CDC's guidelines for school districts. So these school districts include Brown Deer, Cedarburg, Fox Point, Germantown, Glendale, Grafton, Mapledale, Indian Hill, Mequon, Thienesville, Nicolay, Northern Ozaki, Port Washington, Shorewood, and Whitefish Bay announcing today a four-week closure for all schools due to the impact of COVID-19. That closure begins Monday Schools tentatively resuming on April 13th. Now, every district may reach out to parents differently as far as how they're going to proceed. Because Elmbrook announced earlier that yes, Elmbrook, Elmbrook was, was going to be list, closing. Yeah. Menominee, Menominee Falls, Falls, I think. Yeah. Merton is one. But some of these are going to be doing online teaching. Others may be doing something differently. Again, every school district is different. However, in this report all of those came together to say hey this is something we're doing so it's a large list we're going to get it all online for you i'm sure if you're in that in, in that district you'll hear about it but we'll get it online well right and of course again the, the interesting aspect is that the biggest school district in the state is mps right and at least so far the intention of mps is to to stay open and as we've been talking about and you know it, it's a difficult decision one way or the other because 
for example, at a school like MPS, it's not just the school, but it, it's the breakfast programs, it's the school lunch programs. And the governor brought that up yesterday. Right, you, you have that. It's And I, I know some people who've been calling are kind of poo-pooing the child care thing, but in, in the real world, you know, that that's kind of, that that's an issue where you have, I, I don't know, boy, they're both parents that work, or, or maybe it's a single-parent family raising kids, and it creates child care issues, which, you know, isn't to say that... You know, you can't, you have, shouldn't be expected to deal with it, but it, it's, it's an issue that, that's out there and it, it complicates the matters. And then there's the whole question about like the online learning thing. I saw what you were saying. Like, for example, in Nicolet, it, it's one, my guess is Nicolet or Whitefish Bay or Homestead High School, my guess is the vast majority, if not all, of the kids at home have access to the internet. Right. Is that same number true in an urban school district where, and I don't know the answer, my guess is, my guess is probably not. My guess mm-hmm. is the number of people who have internet access at their homes in the city of Milwaukee might be different than, you know, in, in Mequon. I'm Just, curious to see how that goes. I mean, you, you think of snow days, right? And if, the, if you have so many snow days, eventually it's going to start to back up on the back end. So they're going to try their darndest to right. do as much online as they can. Otherwise... Right. I mean, you're not going to have enough days to consider moving the students up another yeah, grade. Yeah, you know, I and yeah, that's the way the laws work. I would, I would hope that under extraordinary circumstances, sure. this is one where if if that's what if the decision is made that you got to close these schools because it's in the interest of public safety, you would hope that this would be an issue where Republicans and Democrats in the legislature can get together and everybody could say, okay, this is an extraordinary thing. Right. And let's forget for this year, let's forget about this 180 day thing because again, it's an extraordinary type of situation. You would, I, yeah, so I guess we'll, I'm we'll less see. concerned you about know, I, I'm sure you're right. But we'll well, see. I'm right. No, but I, I, I no, I, I, I'm right that that's the way it should work out. Whether or not people actually can do that or not, I, I don't right. know, but it's, right. it's like an extraordinary thing. Okay. Back with more in just a minute. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Look, I'm not going to jump on, on school superintendents for making the decision to close. I think it's a difficult decision, and I'm not going to jump on school districts for making the decision to stay open, because it, it's a very difficult decision. To give you some perspective, in a number of states, this has already happened. Ohio, yesterday, the governor ordered every school in Ohio to close for three weeks starting Monday. So, okay, today was the last day of class. They recognize that there's going to create hardships and disruptions, but what they thought was, look, we, we need to do this. We're trying to control the spread of this. Maryland closing all public schools for two weeks in response to the coronavirus. Schools are going to be closed from Monday um, through the end of March. Again, they're, they're saying we're doing this to control this. Kentucky, the governor recommended that the state schools close for at least two weeks. Wasn't a mandate, but strongly urged all schools, K through 12, both public and private, to cease in-person classes for at least um, two weeks. And... Yeah, the, the list goes on and on. But but you get an idea. This is the it's a difficult decision that's being made. Um, Jeff, 
we don't shut schools down unless a huge number of kids are out and a cleaning has to happen. I think this is premature. As a parent of a high schooler, a middle schooler, and a grade schooler, I know my older two kids should be able to self-regulate and stay on top of things. But how can I get my job done and make sure my second grader keeps on his studies? I don't have a child care issue, but I do have to be a teaching assistant at this point, and working from home is not feasible for me. Here's a text. Jeff, my daughter-in-law is a fourth grade teacher. Her school is discussing online learning. She estimates that 25% of the students in her class have no Internet access. I'm not sure how the schools are going to address that. Um, yeah, that, that's, a, that's a very real factor. And, and, and like I say, I mean, let's, let's live in the real world. That's going to vary. The, the online access is going to vary from school district to school district. And there's, uh, my guess is there's lots of school districts around the, the state where access to the Internet at home is, is plentiful. It's, it's not an issue for any, or if it is an issue for some, it's, it's a small percentage. But, but what about those areas where it is? And, and then, of course, you get the, the other questions. And, th- and this, you know, you've got the schools, but what, what about like now public libraries? I mean, is you, where, where you have again lots of people that are congregating, lots of people that are using the internet. I, these are all the, these difficult issues. Now, with schools, it's a little bit different because you're talking about kids. And on the one hand, if, if you look at the percentage of people contracting the coronavirus, the number of children, very, very small. Uh, but at the same time, I, I don't know. Uh, I think it's a very valid question. Let's say you close these school districts. Does that mean that the kids are going to stay home or are they going to be going to the malls? Are they going to be going to the health clubs? Are they going to be going to the li- the public libraries and all? I mean, these are these are the difficult questions that that are, are out there. I, I, I like the idea of trying to contain this. I, I just I, I and, and I think it's important to be proactive. I don't know about having to close the schools for a month. I mean, candidly, I think I would have said if if we feel it's necessary to do this, let's do it week by week. All right. And if we've got spring break coming up, all right, let, let's do it two weeks out. You know, in some of these school districts, they've already made the decision to close for a month, which, by the way, is longer than the, the schools are closing in, in a number of these other states. So all these different issues come into play, but we're, we're wrestling with this. The way it stands right now, MPS and a number of school districts in our area are going to be open, but several of them are going to be closing. All right, something else closing. Wow. Disney World, Disneyland, Disney World, uh, Disney Paris, all temporarily closing. And uh, in Disneyland, for example, they're, they're clearing out the hotels as well. The plan right now is that these resorts are going to be closed through the end of the month. And also, Disney suspending new departures for its Disney Cruise Line beginning on Saturday, a measure that will end at le- last at least until the end of the month. And again, I, I, I understand this. We're, we're in uncharted territory here. And and everybody is trying to react appropriately and at the same time not overreact. So from the perspective of, of Disney, they don't want to see lots of people coming in. They don't want to see this thing spread. At the same time, every day that park is closed, Disney loses a boatload of money. 
Um, it hurts, of course, the travel industry because people aren't coming to Disney, and it really hurts the employees, especially, my guess is, the part-time employees who work on an hourly basis. Um, Disney's saying we're going to close through the end of the month. This is Friday the 13th, so what? that's like two weeks or so, and then they're going to reevaluate, hopefully. Hopefully, by the time they reevaluate, by the time April 1st rolls around, um, we're, we're going to be able to start to get back to normal. Nice to see that happening even sooner. All right. When we come back, the president is scheduled to have a press conference. I, I said this earlier. I, I thought his speech to the nation the other night was was disastrous, just just disastrous. And I, I was surprised it was as bad as I thought it was. Um, hopefully. Today will be better. In any event, the news conference is scheduled to start in a few minutes. We'll bring you a portion of that. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. As Eric mentioned, we are awaiting the president's news conference he um, presumably is going to be declaring a national emergency. And I'm going to be honest with you. I don't fully understand all that that means on, on a on a real basic level. What it does is it makes it easier for federal money to flow to states to deal with things. It, it also it gives the president, by invoking the particular act, it gives the president some, some broader authority with regard to other things. But at least my understanding is that what they're going to do is, at least the, the, at least the initial attention is just to make it easier to get just money distributed to the different states as we try to make sure we ratchet up our testing. There's a there, – I admit, I'm, I'm kind of – on my last nerve when it comes to a lot of stuff. And, and it's just, it, it's been an, an exasperating couple of weeks. Oh, by the way, people were saying, you're going to do your fun pop culture corner today. Yeah, we are, because I think we really need something like this after a week like that. So uh, assuming that we can squeeze it in with the president's press conference, we will be doing that at two thirty. But th- this was, it was kind of, it was kind of, to use the cliche, it was a straw that broke the camel's back. I, this, this virus problem started in China, as other pandemics have, because of a variety of factors. And and this isn't one where we're gonna we're gonna point blame at Asian Americans or anything like that. But it but it started in China, and it spread in China. And I don't think there is any question at all that the, the Chinese government was not straight with the world as to the number of people that were infected and and how how soon and when they were infected and, and i i firmly believe if the chinese government had been more forthcoming had gotten the world involved sooner you would have had a, a better effort at containment and um you know all all that type of stuff but they didn't and, and then by the time the word started leaking out about what was going on, you'd already had people that were traveling back and forth and they were carriers and all that stuff. So no no love lost for China in the way they handled this. Now, the good news from the perspective of China is if you can believe the information that's coming out, China in particular and Asia in general, the, the incidence of this, the, the spread appears to be slowing down, which is good news. But But here's what really kind of frosted me. Story out of the the countries 
the, the country's communist party, the state-run media agency, had an article yesterday where, you know, Beijing was bragging about how they handled the coronavirus. They also, in this article, went on to claim that China could impose, wait for it, pharmaceutical export controls that would plunge America into, quote, the mighty sea of coronavirus. That's S-E-A, the mighty sea of coronavirus. And I guess I I didn't realize this, but, you know, the, the U.S., is a global leader in research, all right, when it comes to drugs and things like that. But China is China is where most of the manufacturing of life-saving drugs is done. Matter of fact, I guess, and I just didn't, I, I, maybe everybody knew this, I didn't. The last American manufacturing plant to make a key component in penicillin closed in 2004. Since then, Chinese pharmaceutical companies have moved in and taken over, and these Chinese pharmaceutical companies supply between 80 and 90% of U.S. antibiotics. I mean, okay, so, you know, we have the technology, but all this stuff is being produced in in China. So now you have, in the state-run media, this threat to say, here's what we're going to do. We're going to cut off, or we're considering cutting off the supply of, again, these, these chemicals, the, the stuff that's used to produce some of these life-saving drugs. Really? So let's think about this. So you've got China where the whole damn thing started. I think they did a crummy job of controlling it. I think they lied to the world. And now they're taking the position that, oh, and, and by the way, you know, we control the pharmaceutical chain, so we might be, we might cut off, you know, the, the precursor drugs and things like that. I, I, I try to find... Again, silver linings in very, very dark clouds. One of the silver linings is that maybe when this is over, and it will be over at some point in time, you know, we'll, we'll be paying more attention to hygiene. I mean, my example has been I, I, I carry hand sanitizer now. I never really used to be, I don't know, religious about doing that. And now I use it, and I think, you know, moving forward, I'm going to do things like that. I'm going to be more active in, in that sort of thing. And, and I think, you know, maybe for a lot of us, we'll be more attuned to that. One of the other things is if this highlights our dependency, for example, on places like China to provide us with medicine, right, maybe maybe that's a red flag that we need to figure out how we need to get some more domestic production of this stuff. So just like we were held hostage to oil in the 70s, okay, maybe, you know, we're not going to be held hostage to um, medicine by overseas, by countries that are not necessarily friendly to us or maybe overtly hostile to us. Maybe we got to figure that out. Okay, let's take a quick break. Again, we are still awaiting the president's press conference. We'll bring that to you as soon as he begins. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. People, 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 relax. This is not the end of the world. I, 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 I'm for the last three hours, two and a half hours, I, I've been getting a number of people who have been sending me photographs of, of stores and the store shelves being bare. Just got one. Jeff, these people are nuts. I'm at Walmart right now shopping. Toilet paper, bottled water, laundry detergent. The, the aisles are, the shelves are pretty much bare. And they're showing me these pictures. It's, it's like, 
it's just like empty. It's like, all right, there's a hurricane coming. Take a survey once and see many people have changed their lifestyle because of this. I haven't changed the thing. I'm living normally. Okay, so on top of that, here, here's the deal. My, my lovely and charming wife, she does the shopping because I hate, I hate to shop. And, and today she had some time and so she's been going out shopping. Not, not to stock up to buy stuff for the apocalypse. She's been going out because it's Friday, and she's buying stuff for the next four or five days. So we're, we're talking about just like a, a regular shopping trip that, that you would take. And she, she sent me a note from like the Costco going, the lines are, are nuts. There's no toilet paper. There's no paper towels. Now, we don't need toilet paper or paper towels, so that's not an issue. But if we needed them, we wouldn't be able to buy them there. Her, her note just said um, she's at another one of the – she says, I'm, I'm, I'm at Metro Market now. It's just absolutely crazy. You know, and it's just like, so now it's, it's to the point where, I, I, I don't know, what do people think is going to happen? I mean, see, that's, that's the thing. Do you think that, okay, the, the grocery stores are going to close down? Do you think that we're going to be told that you, you can't leave your home? Even, even in Italy, for example, where they've got people that are quarantined, you, they, they still allow people to go out and travel to the pharmacies and the grocery stores and, and things like that. I guess it, I was reading a, a piece, I think it was in the Washington Post today, which was they, they were quoting some mental health expert. And they were asking, why do people go out and buy six months worth of toilet paper? And the... The, the, the thing was, well, because there, there's so much about this that we cannot control, that that maybe gives you this element. You think, well, I, there's, there's, nothing, there's nothing in connection with this that I can't control, so I'm going to go out and I'm going to buy six months' worth of toilet paper because then I know I'm, I'm taken care of, at least in that area. I can control that one aspect of my life. And it, do, do I think it's irrational to have a, a stockpile of, of stuff in, in case – I don't know, in case we have a tornado that comes in. I, no, I, I, I don't. I, I think that's, you know, if you were to say to me, okay, somebody's got, you know, uh, some, some rolls of toilet paper that are in the basement and some paper towels and, you know, a little bit of canned soup and some, I don't know, some dry food stuffs or something, I don't think that that's nuts and I don't think there's it, that's necessarily unwarranted. That's the type of thing that you, heck, if you live in Florida, you do that all the time because, you know, they have hurricanes and stuff and it might be a situation where you're going to have to go a couple days without water in the worst case scenario or something like that. But okay, we're gonna stop we're gonna buy out the stores and we're gonna go into panic mode buying. Don't just don't don't get it at 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 all. Um you know, it's I and, and what are you gonna do? You buy all the cans of soup and then you don't use it and then it expires. I again I, I'm not encouraging people to be irresponsible, but it's just I, I really if, if it turns out to be the end of the world and I'm wrong, I will publicly apologize. My last act on this radio station, but I don't think that that's that's going to be the case. We're we're going to get through this, and we're going to get through it. And there's going to be a lot of people that apparently are going to have cartons and cartons and cartons of toilet paper sitting in their basement. All right, again, we're waiting for the president's news conference. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Welcome back. My producer, Gru, asked a very astute question during the break, which was, okay, if they schedule a news conference at 2 o'clock, 
why is it that it's 2.25 and that there's no movement on the news conference? And I, I just don't know. And this is, I, I don't know if there is a problem with the prepared remarks or if there's something that's come up. You just never know. But it is not un, uncommon. And, and President Trump has been known for that. President Obama was notoriously, he ran on his own time when it came to news conferences. It was just, it's kind of the nature of the beast. But we are... We are waiting the presidential news conference. Uh, they're going to declare a state of emergency. That's what the reports say. I, And I, I confess, I don't fully know exactly what that means, other than the, the big headline article is that it's going to free up federal money and make it easier for the feds to distribute money to the states. Because the, the whole coronavirus thing, keep in mind, n- normally when it comes to health, I mean, health is handled on on a state by state basis. I mean, you've got the Center for Disease Control, etc. But you know, you you've got the local health commissioners, and and you've got the states that are in general, you know, responsible for you know handling these type of issues. So if we can free up money and make it easier to get money to them, um, that's fine. I'm going to I'm going to send this out on on I'm going to tweet this out after. I get a minute or two. And again, I, I've tried to be really careful this week about balancing my understanding of the seriousness of coronavirus. And for everybody who sends me the text or emails and say, oh, this is just, it, it's completely and totally overblown. Well, you, you got professional sports leagues that are closing down. You've got schools that are closing down. Um, it is it is a big deal. And, and yeah, it, it, it is a big deal. And I've been trying to balance that out with the reality of the fact that the vast majority of people, nobody wants to get this, and you want to stop the spread of it. There's no question about it. But the vast majority of people who get it are going to be sick for a couple of days, and and then they're going to then they're going to recover. And and that's I, I hate to say that because it sounds like you're poo pooing this. Nobody wants people to get sick, but you know most people, it's not the bubonic plague. It's not going to kill most people that get it. Now, if you're older and have other health problems and compromised immune systems and stuff, it, it's it's a very, very big deal. And if you have relatives or, or friends that are in that situation, if you've got people who have other you know, health problems, I mean, I have a very, very dear friend that I'm going to be seeing next week who's, you know, got, got some respiratory issues. And I candidly, I'm you know, he he was planning to go with me to a couple public events. Candidly, I'm very glad that these events have been canceled because, all right, this is a particular situation where, you know, given the respiratory issues that my friend has, you know, I, you don't, I don't want him exposed to any of that. And as a matter of fact, you know, when I go over and I, I see him next week, like we're scheduled to, I, I'm going to adhere to this social distancing rule, you know, stay, stay six feet away because I, I don't think I'm, I've got anything, but I don't inadvertently, whether it's coronavirus or whether it's influenza A or B or whatever, I, I don't want to do that. It's you know, So people who are at risk, it's clearly an issue. But the truth is, most people, even if you get this, you will recover. There was a fascinating piece. Um, actually, Fox had it, but don't, if you hate Fox News, it's still a very interesting piece. Interviews a woman in Seattle, Washington, who had coronavirus. Um, you know, she's now she's speaking out and she's talking about because she's she's recovered from it. She's 37 years old. And she says what happens is she first began experiencing symptoms February 25th, fever, cough, shortness of breath, about three days after attending a party. Now, she later learned that she contracted this the, the disease at 
at the party. That that's what she found out. But um, she she got it at the party. Um, she said, she, but you know, she didn't think it was coronavirus. She, she thought it was kind of like flu-like symptoms. She said, and then it got more intense. She developed a headache, a fever, body aches. She went home from work. She had a hundred and three degree fever. Began to you know shiver, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, she treated her symptoms with over-the-counter cold and flu medication. Fever subsided a couple days later, and then ultimately, you know, she got better. Didn't didn't have the bad cough that some people end up having. Her point was that you know it look she was sick for a couple of days but but that she got better and that's going to be i think the reaction that most otherwise healthy people have that is not poo-pooing the impact of coronavirus that's not wishing it on everybody on anybody but the truth of the matter is like i keep saying it's not the bubonic plague eric bilstadt we're still awaiting uh, the president Yes, so the president here in just a few moments is expected to declare a coronavirus emergency. He is now being introduced and coming out. Before he gets out, I want to um, mention that we do have an updated number. 18 confirmed cases now in Wisconsin, including two in Milwaukee County. Let's go now live to the White House, outside the White House, where President Trump is about to speak. Thank you very much, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Beautiful day in the Rose Garden. President Trump Appreciate flanked by being here. Vice today, President like Mike Pence and others. Provide an update to the American people on several decisive new actions we're taking in our very vigilant effort to combat and ultimately defeat the Corona virus. The, uh, we've been working very hard on this. We've made tremendous progress. Uh, when you compare what we've done to other areas of the world, it's uh, it's pretty incredible. A lot of that had to do with the early uh, designation and the closing of the borders. And as you know, uh, Europe was just designated as the hotspot right now, and uh, we closed that border a while ago. So that was lucky or through talent or through luck, call it whatever you want. But through a very collective action uh, and shared sacrifice, national determination, we will overcome uh, the threat of the virus. I also announced Wednesday night, following the advice of our medical professionals, who are doing a tremendous job, and we appreciate it very much, that we're suspending the entry of foreign nationals who have been to Europe in the last 14 days from entering the United States. Citizens, permanent residents, and our families, any of the families uh, returning from Europe will be subject to extra screening as well as self-isolation for a period of 14 days. As the World Health Organization confirmed today, uh, many of the things that what we said were 100% correct, including our designation before them of Europe, like our earlier very aggressive actions with China. This measure will save countless lives. Uh, I appreciate a number of the folks behind me, a lot, number of the people behind me said that uh, that saved a lot of lives, that early designation. But it is only the beginning of what we're really doing, and now we're in a different phase. We had some very old and obsolete rules that we had to live with it worked under certain circumstances but not under mass circumstances 
They were there for a long time. They were in place for a long time, and we're breaking them down now. And they're very usable for certain instances, but not for this. To unleash the full power of the federal government in this effort today, I am officially declaring a national emergency. Two very big words. The action I am taking will open up access to up to $50 billion of very importantly, very important and a large amount of money for states and territories and localities in our shared fight against this disease. In furtherance of the order, I'm urging every state to set up emergency operation centers effective immediately. You're going to be hearing from some of the uh, largest companies and greatest retailers and uh, medical companies in the world. They're standing right behind me and inside of me. I'm also asking every hospital in this country to activate its emergency preparedness plan so that they can meet the needs of Americans everywhere. The hospitals are very engaged. Uh, New York and various other places are also various engaged. I just spoke with Governor Cuomo. We had a very good conversation. And we're working very strongly with uh, many states, including New York. The emergency orders I'm issuing today will also confer broad new authority to the Secretary of Health and Human Services. The Secretary of HHS will be able to immediately waive provisions of applicable laws and regulations to give doctors hospital, all hospitals, and healthcare providers maximum flexibility to respond to the virus and care for patients. This includes the following critical authorities, the ability to waive laws to enable telehealth, a fairly new uh, and uh, incredible thing that's happened in the, in the not so uh, distant uh, past, I tell you, what they've done with telehealth is incredible. It gives uh, remote doctors visits and hospital check-ins, the power to waive certain federal license re requirements so that doctors from other states can provide services in states with the greatest need. Number two, the ability to waive requirements that critical access hospitals limit the number of beds to 25 and the length of stay to 96 hours, the ability to waive the requirements of a three-day hospital stay prior to admission to a nursing home, big thing, the authority to waive the rules to hinder hospitals' ability to bring additional physicians on board or obtain needed office space. They can do as they want. They can do what they have to do. They know what they have to do. Now they don't have any problem getting it done. The authority to waive rules that severely restrict where hospitals can care for patients within the hospital itself, ensuring that the emergency capacity can be quickly established. will remove or eliminate every obstacle necessary to deliver our people the care that they need and that they're entitled to. No resource will be spared, nothing whatsoever. Ten days ago, I brought together the CEOs of commercial labs, at the White House and directed them to immediately begin working on a solution to dramatically increase the availability of tests. Other countries have called us and worked with us, and they're doing similar things or will be doing similar things. As a result of that action today, we're announcing a new partnership with private sector to vastly increase and accelerate our capacity to test for the coronavirus. 
We want to make sure that those who need a test can get a test very safely, quickly, and conveniently. But we don't want people to take a test if, if we feel that they shouldn't be doing it. And we don't want everyone running out and taking only if you have certain symptoms. Using federal emergency authorities, the FDA approved a new test for the virus. We did this within hours after receiving the application from Roche, a process that would normally take weeks. We therefore expect up to a half a million additional tests will be available uh, early next week. We'll be announcing locations probably on Sunday night. I want to thank Roche, great company, for their incredible work. I'd also like to thank Thermo Fisher. The FDA's goal is to hopefully authorize the air application within 24 hours. It'll go very quickly. It's going very quickly, which will bring additionally 1.4 million tests on board next week and 5 million within a month. I doubt we'll need anywhere near that. At the same time, we've been in discussions with pharmacies and retailers to make drive-through tests available in the critical locations identified by public health professionals. The goal is for individuals to be able to drive up and be swabbed without having to leave your car. I want to thank Google. Google is helping to develop a website. It's going to be very quickly done, unlike websites of the past, to determine whether a test is warranted and to facilitate testing at a nearby convenient location. We have many, many locations behind us, by the way. We cover the this country in large parts of the world, by the way. We're not going to be talking about the world right now. But we cover very, very uh, strongly our country. Uh, stores in virtually every location. Google has uh, 1,700 engineers working on this right now. They've made tremendous progress. Our overriding goal is to stop the spread of the virus and to help all Americans who have been impacted by this. Again, we don't want everybody taking this test. It's totally unnecessary. Uh, and this will pass. Uh, this will pass through, and uh, we're going to be uh, even stronger for it. We've learned a lot. A uh, tremendous amount has been uh, learned. I want to thank uh, Deborah Burks, and I want to ask her maybe to come up and say a few words as to what's happening. Dr. Burks is a uh, highly respected person I've gotten to know very well over the last six days. And uh, what we've done is rebuilt something that was very old, very old-fashioned, somewhat obsolete, certainly obsolete when it comes to the kind of numbers that we're talking about. Uh, Dr. Burks, please. Thank you, Deborah. Thank you, Mr. President. Um, it's a pleasure to be here with all of you. Um, I think you know at the beginning of this epidemic, HHS through CDC proactively developed an assay built on the existing flu surveillance system. That surveillance system was then converted to diagnostic system. But last Tuesday, seeing the spread of the virus around the globe, the President realized that our current approach to testing was inadequate to need the, meet the needs of the American public. He asked for an entire overhaul of the testing approach. He immediately called the private sector laboratories to the White House, as noted, and charged them with developing a high-throughput quality platform that can meet the needs of the American public. We are grateful to LabCorp and Quest for taking up the charge immediately after the meeting 
and within 17 hours, 72 hours, bringing additional testing access, particularly to the outbreak areas of Washington State and California, and now across the country. We are also very grateful to the universities and large hospital systems that took up the charge to develop their own quality tests, made available by new, new FDA guidance. This has resulted in expanded testing across New York, California, Washington, Colorado, and you see sometimes those drive-through options that have been made available through these high-throughput options. Following the meeting last week, major commercial laboratory equipment and diagnostic companies took immediate action to adopt and develop new testing systems. Last night, the initial company, Roche, received SDA, FDA approval, moving from request to development to approval in record time. This innovative approach centered fully on unleashing the power of the private sector, focusing on providing convenient testing to hundreds of thousands of Americans within short turnaround times. In less than two weeks together, we have developed a solution that we believe will meet the future needs, testing needs of Americans. I understand how difficult this has been. I was part of the HIV AIDS response in the 80s. We knew from, from first finding cases in 1981, it took us to almost 1985 to have a test. It took us another 11 years to have effective therapy. It is because of the lessons learned from that that we were able to mobilize and bring those individuals that were key to the HIV response to this response. I understand that a lot of this behind-the-scenes action over the last couple of weeks was invisible to the press and the American people. But this intense effort has not only resulted in innovative solutions, but an automated high-throughput system bringing the availability of these quality coronaviral testing to the American people at unprecedented speed. Finally, I want you to know in South Korea, they did have a large number of tests available over the last several weeks. Their positivity rate is between 3 and 4%. With LabCorp and Quest expanded testing, their positivity rate is between 1 and 2 percent. So we want to also announce this new approach to testing, which will start in the screening website up here, facilitated by Google, where clients and patients and people of interest can go, fill out a screening questionnaire, move down for symptoms or risk factors, yes, they would move down this and be told where the drive-through options would be for them to receive this test. The labs will then move to the high-throughput automated machines to be able to provide results in 24 to 36 hours. That is the intent of this approach. We have seen it work just in our own United States, and we want to bring this across the continent. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, um, I'd like to maybe have Tony, do you want to come up? You've become a, uh, a, I think everybody out here knows you pretty well, but Tony has been doing a tremendous job working long, long hours, and you've seen a lot happen, but this has been, uh, it's been a great experience, and working with you has been terrific. Tony, please. Thank you very much, Mr. President. Uh, this is an example of another example of what I've been referring to uh, in my discussions with many of you in the audience as a proactive, leaning forward, aggressive, trying to stay ahead of the curve. And what you're seeing now with this order is that we're going to be able to remove the constraints 
so that people at the state, the local level, the individual physician, all the way up through the federal government will have as many constraints as possible removed for them to do everything they possibly can so that we can uh, implement the things that we've been talking about. The containment, the mitigation, so that as I've said many times, that curve that I refer to that goes up, we don't want to have that curve. We want to suppress it down to that small mound. And I think what we've done today is something that is going to be a very important element in having us be successful in doing that. We still have a long way to go. There will be many more cases, but we'll take care of that. And ultimately, as the President said, this will end. But what's going on here today is going to help it to end sooner than it would have. Thank you. That was Dr. Tony Fochi, Anthony Fochi, who's been sort of the point person. He was the guy testifying in front of Congress um, on infectious diseases. Celebrities in their own right. They're the biggest business people, the greatest retailers anywhere in the world. And one of them is Doug McMillan from Walmart. And I'd like to have Doug, if you would, say a few words, wherever you may be. Good, Doug. Please. Tell you what, we're going to take a very quick break. But uh, – in my opinion, this is the speech that the president should have given the other night, announcing concrete decisions, $50 billion, uh, the state of national emergency. Apparently, they've, they've made arrangements with the private sector, so now you're going to have access to a lot more testing, um, easier screening for this, drive-through procedures, uh, and I, I think now we're starting to recognize, uh, again, the, the way government can and should respond to these situations.